Hey, thanks for tuning in to the First Monroe podcast. For more information on our church, visit firstmonroe.com. We hope you enjoy. This morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn or click to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. I don't know if you get this way in life sometimes, but uh, maybe you get on a kick of where you listen to certain type of music. Uh, sometimes maybe when you're in the car, when you're working out, when you're uh, just hanging out at the house. You, we on these kicks of certain type of music we like. Curse and I lately have been on a country kick. Um, I don't know why, but we have... We have just been on this country kick, so every time we get in the car, uh, we've just wanted to listen to country, so we have several playlists, some 90s country, some 2000s country, so we've just been listening to different type of country music, and as we've been listening to country music, the other day, I think it was Memorial Day, we were driving to our parents' house, and so we were listening to, and a song came up that I hadn't heard in a while. You know how when you hear a certain song, it kind of brings you back to a certain time, or a memory, or whatever it is, and I heard this, I mean, I hadn't heard this song in forever. It's a song by Tim McGraw called Live Like You Were Dying. I don't know if Anybody's ever heard that song before? Um, you may have heard it before. If you, if you haven't heard that song, I'll, I'll just kind of break it down. I'm not going to sing it this morning. I should have got you to sing it, Shane, this morning. Maybe would have been helpful. But basically, this song that Tim McGraw is this guy that's maybe in his early or mid-40s, basically gets this really, really bad medical news and basically finds out that he does not have very long to live. And so in this song, he's telling this, and then basically Tim McGraw asked this guy, well, what did you do when you heard this news? And then the chorus, I'll read it for you. It'll be hard not to sing it, but I'm not, because I, <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't sing. So it says, I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I loved deeper, I spoke sweeter, I gave forgiveness, I'd been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. I find it interesting that in this song, as I was listening to it, we were driving, it just brought me back to high school and as I was listening to the song, but as I was thinking about it, of, isn't it interesting that when you're faced with death, it seems to change everything? And there's been movies made about this, there's been stories about this, that when you get the, really the bad news that your life is about to end, it seems to change everything. It seems really to put things in perspective of like, hey, what's really most important? That's this guy in this song basically says like, I'd been denying forgiveness and then in the face with death, I begin to actually start to forgive people I hadn't been forgiven. I began to love people a little deeper than I really had been. And you kind of almost wonder, as I was thinking about this, of, I wonder why that is in the face of death, it seems that things begin to be reoriented in our life and we begin to really find what's most important. So as I was listening to this song, I, I thought about this question. Um, is what if I find, find out tomorrow that I have two months left to live? What am I going to do? Like, what if I know for a fact that I have two months left to live, what am I going to do with my remaining two months? Let me say this to you, and not to answer out loud, just to think about it. What if you know without a shadow of a doubt that you have two months left to live? How would you live your life in light of only having two months left. It's kind of an uncomfortable thing to think about because I would say this about all of us. No one wants to daydream about death. I could be wrong, but I don't think we just sit around daydreaming about our death. That sounds like a really morbid thing to do. And if you do that, that's okay. But, but I don't think that's, I would say this, for many of us, we want to get as far away as death as possible. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to acknowledge it. 
we, we don't even want to, to, to even think about these things. But the reality is, and even as we'll see this morning, the truth is this morning, which it could be, let me just say up front, that it's going to be a bit sobering at the beginning, but I promise you there will be hope at the end. But it's almost like this death is this elephant in the room that you cannot escape. No matter how much you try to think, not think about it, no matter what you try to do, it's this elephant in the room that you cannot escape. We, we, we do everything we can to, to not think about it, to get away from it, but it's, it's, it's something that every single person in this room will have to face. And so, in light of that, I want us to see this truth this morning as we look at Genesis chapter 5, um, that I hope you see the sobering part of it, but also see the hope of it, and that is this truth this morning. It's this, that the only remedy for the curse of death is following Jesus. That the only thing that can ultimately provide relief and hope for us in the face of death is a relationship with Jesus. It's the only remedy. It's the only thing that can prevent us from experiencing death is walking with Jesus. And so hopefully you'll see this this morning as we unpack Genesis chapter 5. As we walk through, you may be like, well, what are we going to get from Genesis chapter 5? But hopefully you'll see all of these things as we look at this. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 5 and we will start in verse 1. It says this, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in his likeness, male and female. He created them and he blessed them and he named them man when he created them. When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of, of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Adam lived were 930 years and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Canaan. Enosh lived after he fathered Canaan 815 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. And when Canaan uh, had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalel. Canaan lived after he fathered Mahalel 840 years and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. When Mahalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalel lived after he had fathered Jared 830 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared lived 163 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God, and he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and after, uh, after he had other sons and daughters, and thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, and God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech, and Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years, and he had other sons and daughters, thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech, after he had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground the Lord has cursed. This one shall bring us relief from all the work and all the painful toll of our hands. Lamech lived and fathered Noah after 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old. Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. 
two points I want us to see this morning as we walk through chapter 5. And as I said earlier, the first part will be depressing. Hopefully we'll have hope at the end. Point number one, you will die. I know that seems a little blunt, uh, but it's the truth. Point number one is you will die. Uh, In the beginning of chapter 5, one of the things that we see is that this is a genealogy of Adam and his descendants. Now, one of the things as you get into genealogies, you may be like, why are we even looking at genealogy? Just to understand this, and it said this about every single person that was named. They had other sons and daughters, but why is it only specifically looking at a certain few? Because it's tracking us to Jesus. I believe if you turn to Luke chapter 3, if you see it Matthew chapter 1, it gives the lineage and the descendants to point us to the person of Jesus. If you remember in Genesis chapter 3, as we look, the curse, as he was cursing the serpent, he said this, They will become from the offspring of the woman that will crush your head. And what it's doing is it's giving all these genealogies, it's showing how the offspring from Adam is bringing us all. That's why it's only looking at certain families. It's only looking at a certain lineage to point us, to show us, here is the offspring, Jesus, that will bring us relief from the curse. And so it's pointing us to Jesus. So let me just say, like, I understand when you read the Bible and you get to a genealogy, you're like, that's really boring, and I skipped that part. Sometimes I do too, okay? And so sometimes when you get to genealogy, it's a lot of names we don't use anymore. It's hard to pronounce them. But understand, there's a significance in these genealogies of why we're looking. Is it's trying to point us and track us to Jesus. At the beginning of chapter 5, it kind of gives this rehash of everything that we've already looked for or already seen in Genesis. It tells us about how God created Adam. He created it in his likeness. So Adam was created in the image of God. It means he was to reflect God, to point people to God. He was to glorify God with his life. And as it tracks with us, it says this, It says this in verse 3, He lived, he fathered a son in his own likeness. After his image, he named him Seth. So it seems to imply this, is that the image of God in Adam and Eve was then passed down to its descendants, to their descendants, to their descendants. That's why we say for all of us that you and I were created in the image of God. Why? Because that image is being passed down. The problem is that something else was passed down as well, not just the image of God, but also sin and the curse. As you walk through this, there is also, as we've seen in Cain, Sin didn't stop with Adam and Eve and their rebellion. As it's continued, it actually has gotten worse. And so we see sin even as we walk through in the coming weeks of Noah and all these things. Like we're gonna like sin did not stop. Sin was passed down. Paul says this: through one man, sin has entered the world. So we see sin is now being passed down. That we're all sinners in the eyes of God. We're all we flesh out our sin in different ways, but it all comes out in all of us. But another thing that's interesting or that's really sad to think about is not only was sin passed down, but also the curse. Uh, just, just look with me real quick. Turn back to Genesis chapter 2, or you can click there or flip there. But in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, it says this, The Lord commanded the man, saying, You shall eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And he says this, For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now there's this, this, this consequence of them eating it was be you would die. If you remember in Genesis 3, the serpent actually tells him, Tells Adam and Eve, like, you won't die. You don't have to worry about that. Now, we see as they ate, there was a spiritual death that took place. There was a separation from God. But then there's been this looming question. Will they actually taste death? Drop down to Genesis 5, 5. It says, after all the days of Adam lived 930 years. That is a long time. Can you imagine living 900 and that's almost a thousand years? That is a long time to live. And let me just like uh, this is just my my like reading into this. 
Like, do you think they ever, like, sat around and was like, do you think I'll ever die? <laughs> you know, like, we see what the curse is, but, like, birthday after birthday, it's like, I'm still here. You know, like, and then the text just very bluntly says, and it's, it's, it, I say it's comical. It's not comical because he died. But just how blunt it says it. Like, he lived 930 years, and he died. It, and then it starts walking through all of them. It, like, it just says it, and it just says, he died. It actually, in this text, shows us that not only did Adam die, but everyone after him also died. You may say, what about Enoch? We'll look at Enoch in a second. But as you walk through this, actually eight different times it uses this phrase, he died. He died. And what we see is not only was sin passed down, but the consequence of sin, death, was also passed down as well. Every single person began to die. Here's this gloomy reality that I think as we look in this text and see Adam and all of his descendants, is that you and I will also suffer the exact same fate. You will also die. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 9 says this about death. I want you to listen to what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 9. He says, it is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, he who swears as he shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. The same event happens to all. Also, the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live and after they go on to the dead. He's saying this like, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter whether you're good or evil, bad or not bad. Like, here's the thing. You will face the same fate. You will die. Aaron Burr says it this way. Death does not discriminate between the sinner and the saint. It's this reality. You cannot escape death. It does not discriminate against anyone, whether you have a lot of money or you don't, whether you're old, whether you're young, like nothing, death does not discriminate. Here's the reality for every single person is that you will, you will die. And let me just say this, because of this truth, like I think civilization and all of us have done everything in our power to avoid this truth. I mean, why do you think there's myths of a fountain of youth or a fountain of life? Because we don't want to die. I mean, why do we come up with new drugs, new surgeries, new diet techniques, new exercises? We, we, we're doing literally everything possible to, not, to avoid this, this haunting reality. You will die. And there's nothing that you can do to escape it. Like even, let me just think about this. I was, I was studying it in church history. Like even think about this. Let's even, and we're going to use this at the end. Think about Lazarus. You remember he was raised to life? He ended up dying. You cannot escape death. It is something that will come for all of us, that we will all end up dying. You may say, James, please, let's move on from this. Let's get on to the next point. Let's don't linger here. But let me just say this. The Bible actually tells us this is actually a good thing. To think about your death is a good thing. You may say, well, it doesn't feel good right now. I mean, just when is the last time you just sat around and thought about when you're going to die? Scripture, let me read a few, and it teaches us of why this is a good thing. Psalms 90, 12 says this, talking to the Lord. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So he says, God, help us to number our days. Help us to recognize that our days on this earth are few. Similar to go back to 
the, the song that we mentioned at the beginning, there's something about debt that causes us to rearrange our priorities, to, to rearrange what we're doing, to, because in light of death of like, am I really wasting my life? Like, am I spending my life and what I'm doing for things that ultimately won't matter? And so a lot of times that's what death causes us to think about is what I'm putting my hand to something that really matters. Ecclesiastes 7, Solomon says this, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for to this end is the man of all mankind, and the living will lay heart to it. Translation is this, It's better to go to a funeral than a party. I'll take the party. I don't, I don't want to go to a funeral. But here's, what, in a sense, what he's saying is it's better for you to go to a funeral than it is to go to a party. Why? Because there's wisdom in thinking about death. I know every single one of us in this room, there might be a few excluded, but I would say probably every single person in this room has gone to a funeral. Just, just as a reminder for all of us of how much death is kind of this elephant in the room for all of us, is that it's... We go to funerals and we're reminded of grief. We're reminded of the pain of death. But there's something that happens to me every single time, whether I'm sitting in a funeral or whether I'm participating in a funeral, is inevitably, every single time at a funeral, I always begin to think, one day I'll be in a box as well. There's this tendency at a funeral to begin to think about the one subject that we want to avoid, and that's death. And what seems to be implied is that Scripture is saying this is something that we need to think about. Actually, one of my good fraternity brothers, J.T. Strong, was actually saved at a funeral. I don't know if you're familiar with J.T. Strong. Uh, he's come and spoken, I think, on a Wednesday night here. He has a tremendous ministry, him and Casey in Africa, and they have an uh, orphanage and just doing incredible, incredible stuff for the Lord. And what's crazy is when he was converted to Christianity is he was actually sitting in a funeral. This is a guy that I'd grown up with my entire life. I'd, he was fraternity brothers with me, and, man, he was the guy that just was the it guy. He had everything, whether it was girls, whether it was grades. I mean, it didn't matter. I mean, this guy had it all. And he's sitting in a funeral, and in the funeral he begins to contemplate his own death, and in doing that, he's led to Jesus. There's something sobering about thinking about death. This isn't a subject that you and I want to talk about. This isn't a subject that you and I want to think about, but I think it's a necessity for us to think about. So here's, let me ask a few questions. You don't have to answer these out loud. I just want you to think about them in your own mind. Are you ready to face your death? Are you ready to face your death? Another question. How would the reality of your death change the way that you are living now? Similar to what we've already said, there's something about it that causes us to think about what really matters and what doesn't. Or you could ask this question, and I think this is a logical question to ask. Well, then what's the point? I mean, if we're all just going to die, shouldn't we just live it up and do whatever? That's a good question. Well, hopefully we'll see the question that is no, we shouldn't do that. Um, because there's another option. You may say, well, thank goodness, and get off point number one, and let's move to the hope. And I, and I do, let me just say this. Like, I, I wanted us to sit here for a second and to contemplate your death. Because it is sobering. It's something we don't like to think about. But now since we thought about it, let's move to point number two and hopefully see some hope. Number two is this. Only those who follow Christ 
will escape death. Only those who follow Christ will escape death. As you read through this genealogy, you probably noticed something as we read through it, something very peculiar, and it happens to the seventh person in line after Adam. Now, I think this is not by coincidence that he's the seventh person that we've already seen in the book of Genesis. Number seven is very important, very significant, and this person lines up at number seven. And it's a guy named Enoch, and he stands really as a mystery in this whole thing because you're tracking he died, he died, he died, he died. And then you turn to Enoch. And then you read about Enoch. Let's just look back. It says in verse 21, it says he lived 65 years. He fathered Methuselah. And then it says this. It says this phrase. Enoch walked after God. And then it says in all the days of Enoch, it were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not and God took him. This is the one person as we're reading through the line of Adam that did not taste the curse of death. It actually was taken and did not actually experience death. Now as we study this, I think it's important not to draw the conclusion of like, well, I hope I'm like Enoch, because let me just say this. The chances of you being like Enoch and not tasting death at all is very unlikely. There's only two people in Scripture that experience this, Enoch and Elijah. Even Jesus died, okay? So so, so as we draw this principle, the principle of this is not like, I hope I'm like Enoch. Well, you have Enoch and Elijah. You could be Enoch and Elijah, but let me just say, I think here's the principle that we're trying to draw, is that those who walk with God will be delivered from death. It's this principle that's being taught here, is those who walk with God will be delivered from death. It says this phrase, Enoch walked with God. It says again in verse 24, Enoch walked with God. Martin Luther actually has a funny commentary on this passage of like, just think about Enoch when he was taken. Like, think about what his family did. He was like, they probably like sent out search parties for him. Like searching for this dude, like where in the world is he? Alien abduction, this is probably where alien abduction started right here. That's my commentary added in this of like, where in the world is this guy? I mean, just, I mean, think this had never happened before. They couldn't find him, but the text tells us what happened is that God took him. So as we see this, as he escaped death, I think the same reality is for us that if we walk with God, we have the hope and security to escape death. So here's what I want to do I want to look at that phrase. To walk with God, because I think this is a key phrase that we need. Because if walking with God is what helps me escape death, then I want to unpack that. I want to see what that means. What does it mean to walk with God? Well, if you look in the Scripture, this is a very prominent phrase. So it's used twice here. If you look over in Genesis 6, we'll see this about Noah. It says this in verse 9, that Noah walked with God. The same phrase. I'll give you some other Scripture. Deuteronomy 5.33 it says this about walking after God. It says, You shall walk in all the ways that your Lord God has commanded you, that you will live, and that things may go well with you, that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Micah 6 8 says this He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But you do justice to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. New Testament, Colossians 2 6 says this, Therefore, as you received Christ, so walk in Him. So you see this phrase appears multiple times, to walk with God. Well, what does this phrase mean as we think about Because I think that's important for us to say, well, like, what does it mean for me to walk with God? Great question, and I want to give you a few points on this. So what does it mean for me, for you, to walk with God? Number one, it means this. is Number one, it means that you are in agreement with God. If you walk with God, it means that you are in agreement with Him. Amos 3.3 3 says this. Does two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Meaning this, it's really hard to walk with someone you have a disagreement with, or it's really hard to walk with someone who's going the opposite direction. 
And here's, in a sense, what he's saying is the people, those who walk with God, walk in step with God. They have come to this moment in their life of surrendering what they want and surrendering to God and His Word and to His will and what God wants. It's this, it's this thought of that you are now walking in step with Him. I was thinking about, and actually Jesus actually picks up a similar thing. If you remember, He talks about this, that it's really hard to serve two masters. You're going to end up loving one and hating the other. It's really hard, hard to follow yourself and to follow Jesus. And so it's this idea of what does it really look like for you and I to walk with God? What it looks like is to walk in agreement with it. To literally walk in the same direction that God is walking. To walk in the same way that God... To, to, and that's the phrase you like, to walk in the way of the Lord. That's what it means to walk with God is number one, it means you walk in agreement with Him. Number two, it means this. It means that you are in fellowship with Him. Whenever we go to the beach, there's this thing that Kirsten loves to do, and I'm learning to like it. It's, it's taking me a while. She can hold me accountable to this because I'm saying this publicly. Um, but she loves to go walking on the beach. It's something that she enjoys to do. Sometimes I resist that, and I just was like, I just, let's just sit here. We can talk while we sit. Like, we don't have to walk. Like, we can just sit here, you know. Well, anyway, so I'm working on it. And so, but one of the things, like, like, why does she want to walk? Well, she wants to walk because she wants to be with me. She wants to talk with me. Like, like, she wants to have conversation with me. And that's one of the things when you think of this idea of walking with someone, it's this idea of fellowship, and this is what it means to walk with God. It's someone who seeks to know God. It's someone who seeks that God is their greatest joy. It's someone who loves His presence. It's someone who seeks God in prayer. I was thinking of this passage of another man that walked after God was Psalm 63. I want you to listen to what David says. And I want you... Even in this point and these other points about walking with God, I want you to ask yourself this question. Is this you? All right? Here's what it says in Psalm 63. It says, Oh God, you are my God, and earnestly do I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. He goes on and he says, look, this is what I'm after. I want to know God. I want to seek him. He says, as my flesh longs for him. I like, I, my flesh almost faints because I want God so much. Let me just ask this question. Is that you? Because that's the picture of someone who walks after God. Someone who is passionate pursuit is to know God. Paul actually picks it up and says this. I consider everything but rubbish except for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ my Savior. This was Paul's passionate pursuit was to know God. He wanted to know Him and, and know exactly who God was and he wanted to walk with God and be fellowship with God. That God was his greatest delight. Someone who walks with God is this way. They long for Jesus. They long for His presence. They long to be in Him. And let me just ask you, is this you? This is convicting to think about. This is what it looks like to walk with God. We're like, oh yeah, I walk with God. But do, is God your greatest desire? Is He what you long for? Is He what you seek after? Is that the one passionate pursuit of your life is Jesus? That's what it looks like to walk with God. Number three. Number three means that you are obedient to God. It goes along similar to this agreement thing, but a person who walks with God is a person who obeys God. It's someone who echoes this in Psalms 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinner, nor sits in the seat of scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Someone who walks with God is someone who delights in obeying God. 
who delights in His Word, who delights in God's holiness, who delights in walking in step with God. In this, in Enoch, what it talks about is that Enoch walked with God and he was not. Almost speaks this idea of holiness. If you want to walk with God, one of the ways it looks, it means be obedient to God. Number four, last one, what it looks like to walk with God. Number four, it means this, is that you have faith and trust in God. A person who walks with God is a person who has faith in God. Someone who trusts God. Hebrews 11.5, talking about Enoch, says this. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Right in the next passage in chapter, or in chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. What it's seeming to insinuate, and I could say this word, I think this is probably just to sum it up very simply. To walk with God means to please God. The reason Enoch was a man that pleased God That's actually what the Hebrew writer says, is he was commended for having pleased God. He was a man that believed Him. He was a man that trusted God. He was a man that walked after Him. So here's the big question I want to ask you. I want you to think about it. And that is this, are you living a life that pleases God? Because... Only those who live that life will escape death. Are you living a life that pleases Him? I would say this for all of us. I don't want to die. I know I know Jesus, but it's still there's a scary thought about it. Um, there's still like this mystery in it of like, will it be quick? Will it not? Will I suffer? Will I not? Will it be in my slide? What will it be like? And so there's just that unknown that I think for many of us just unnerves us, even if we follow Jesus. But it's those who walk after him are the ones that will escape death. And let me just, if I can be just really brutally honest, that really depresses me. And here's why. While I want to please God with everything that I am, I have to look and be honest and evaluate my life. And many times I live a life that does not fully please God. To think about if living a life, to be honest with you, that feels like a lot of work. That feels really hard. I almost still feel just as hopeless. But... That's the amazing and wonderful news about the gospel of Jesus Christ is there is someone who did walk perfectly with God. That in every possible way, Jesus Christ walked in full agreement with his Father. In every possible way, he lived in perfect fellowship with his Father. In every practical way, he lived in obedience to the Father. In every way, Jesus Christ lived a perfect life that fully pleased and walked in faith with God. And here's what's beautiful about the gospel. Is that Jesus Christ and God knew that you could never live a life that fully pleased him. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work, you will never be able to live a life that fully pleases Him. So here's what Jesus did. He did it for you. He went and lived a perfect life. Then He went to the cross, was crucified, and listen to this. He tasted death and the curse of death so that you didn't have to. 
He went and experienced death, the curse. It actually says this in Galatians, quoting Leviticus. Anyone who hangs on a cross is cursed. He bore the cross, the, the curse so that you didn't have to. Then he goes to the grave, and as while everyone thinks he's dead, God in his power raised Jesus Christ to life, and he conquered sin and death. And here's the truth and the beauty of the gospel, that any person who believes in Jesus Christ will never experience death that will have eternal life, that will have to experience the the curse of sin and death, that you will be freed from that. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 24. It says, then comes the end when he will deliver the kingdom of God, the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things under subjection under his feet. Then he goes down in 54. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who has given us victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You and I have victory because Jesus Christ lived it perfectly for you. Let, Let me say it this way. The only way for you to escape death is not by walking with God, but believing in the one who perfectly walked with God. Now, when I walk after God, it's not to earn salvation. It's not to earn eternal life. I've already been given it free because Jesus. Now, when I walk after God, now when I seek him, now when I want fellowship, like now when I do these things, it's not to earn it. It's not to get me into heaven. I already am in heaven because of what Jesus did for me. If anyone ever asks you as a believer, why are you going to heaven? The only answer is Jesus. You can't say you went to church. You can't say because I did this thing, because I read my Bible. The only answer that gets you into heaven, eternal life, is this. Jesus. I didn't deserve it. I was unworthy of it. But yet Jesus in his grace paid it for me. He experienced death for me. He experienced the wrath of God for me so that you don't have to. And let me say this. This is the hope that I offer to you today. You don't have to be frightened by death any longer. You no longer have to face this this elephant in the room with, 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 with fear or with even reservation that you can know this, that no matter what happens in this life to you, that you will be able to escape death merely because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus Christ has claimed victory over our greatest enemy that you and I fear and avoid, and that's death. John says this in John 11, 25 through 26. He's saying this before he raises Lazarus. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked this question, do you believe this? That's the question this morning that we all have to answer for ourselves. No one can answer that for you is, do you believe this? That Jesus Christ is the resurrection life. And anyone who believes in Him will never experience death. Hallelujah. Let's pray. God, we love You. God, You say in this word today is the day of salvation. God, there are people here this morning that have never placed their faith in You. Maybe even their entire life has been made of this idea of working for it, of working for salvation, of doing everything in their power and their strength 
God, you knew that no matter how much effort or how much goodness we could possibly muster up in our own life, it would never be good enough. So Jesus, in your grace, you you came and you did it for us. Jesus, to be honest, it seems almost too good to be true. That the way to escape death, the way to have eternal life, is faith in you. God, I thank you that you have provided a way for us. God, I know in our world, God, all of us in this room have felt the pain of death. And it hurts. God, we've lost people that we loved. God, we wrestle with it in our own life. It's this elephant in the room that just, it seems, and God, our world is looking for an answer. Jesus, I thank you that you have already answered it. So God, I pray this morning as we have a time of invitation, a time to respond, that God, you would use this time, God, to, to help us reflect in our own life, and that Jesus, we would glory and wonder and God, sing praises because of the glorious gospel and the good news that you have done for us. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd move in our hearts this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a second. You're going to stand. We're going to respond. I'm about to go back and get ready for baptism. Alan will be down here. If anyone wants to pray, the steps will be open to pray. We'll have people after the service that will be ready to pray with you if you want to talk after the service. But I I just kind of want to give you just an invitation. Um, I don't want anyone to leave this place without knowing Jesus. And I don't want to be like typical preacher style. But the reality is, like, you don't know what happens today. You, you can't guarantee what happens tomorrow. None of us can. And the only thing, the only remedy for death is Jesus. Belief and faith in Him. And then now as you walk to live a life to please Him, it's, it, it, it's coming out of a heart of gratitude and faithfulness and love toward Him because He's already done it for us. So this morning, if you don't know Jesus, do not leave this place Scripture says this, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't even have to come talk to me. Right where you are, you can call on the name of the Lord to save you. And guess what? He'll save you. Some of you in this, you are a believer and you are a follower of Jesus. And maybe it's even this as I was convicted. Now that I am saved, I want to live a life that pleases Him. I want to live a life that I walk after God. And to ask this question... Are we living a life that pleases Him? Are we living a life just as we walk through these characteristics? Are these characteristics fleshing out of my life? And maybe it's even as we pray, as we respond to say, Look, Lord, help, give me a great... This is a prayer I pray often. It's like, Lord, help me. Help my lack of desire and give me greater desire for You. I want more desire for Jesus. Sometimes I feel like, man, my heart grows cold sometimes. Like, God, I need You to, to stir it and, and give me God affections and desires for You. Because sometimes my heart just goes after other things. So this morning as we respond, my prayer is that you would respond to exactly how the Holy Spirit calls you to respond. If you need to talk to someone, Alan will be down here. If, if you want to wait till after, we'll be around. But do not leave this place without trusting in Jesus. You can stand. Sing.